I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared U.S. It happened to the director of the CIA. It happened to the head of the International Monetary Fund. It happened to comedian Bill Maher. All of these people within the past few years and several others were offered honorary degrees or chances to speak at universities. And then protesters from the left demanded that those offers be rescinded and the speeches canceled. And in some cases, that actually did happen. And what was that? Was that censorship? Or was that the left also exercising its right of free expression? And are conservatives, when given the chance, going to do exactly the same thing? Well, that sounds like the makings of a debate. So let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We are at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. As always, our debate will go in three rounds. And then our live audience here at the Jack Morton Auditorium will vote to choose the winner. And only one side wins. Let's meet our debaters. Our motion is this. Liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. And here to argue support, in support of that motion, please welcome Greg Lukianoff. <laughs> Greg, welcome. And you are president of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. That is FIRE. And you were the inaugural recipient of the Playboy Foundation's Freedom of Expression Award. Uh, <laughs> the Wall Street Journal described you as born to fight college censorship in part because of, quote, your unruly red hair. <laughs> For those who are listening who can't see your hair, uh, how, how, how are they going to know how fiery you are? I, it's funny. I actually think of myself as fairly mild-mannered. I mean, besides free speech, which I do get very worked up about, I mostly only get worked up about the how bad the Star Wars prequels were, the canceling of Firefly, and, of course, that people really don't appreciate Beyonce enough. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Greg Lukianoff. And tell us, who are you uh, debating side by side? Who's the, your partner? The fabulous Kirsten Powers. Ladies and gentlemen, Kirsten Powers. <laughs> Kirsten, you are also arguing for the motion, liberals are stifling diversity on campus. Uh, you began your career in the Clinton administration. You became a deputy assistant U.S. trade representative. You served as a consultant to the New York State Democratic Party. But you have a book coming out. Uh, now, the silencing, how the left is killing free speech, um, and you're on Fox News. So our question is, do, do, your, do your friends from the old days still talk to you anymore? <laughs> they do. They call me up usually uh, to tell me they saw me, you know, cheer me on for uh, brawling with Bill O'Reilly, and they always claim that they accidentally saw Fox News when they were flipping <laughs> through the channels. Yeah, of course it was an accident. <laughs> All right, that's our team arguing for the motion. Liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. And we also have a team arguing against the motion. Two debaters. First, please, let's welcome Angus Johnston. <laughs> Angus, you uh, founded the website studentactivism.net. Uh, you are you're a historian of student activism and student life. You teach at City University of New York. You yourself were an activist as an undergraduate. You took part in sit-ins and in demonstrations. In your own words, you yelled and screamed plenty of times, and you even got arrested once for something like really exciting? Uh, actually, I was sitting quietly in a student lounge discussing blood donation policy. Oh, you were, that was radical. Yeah. <laughs> Angus Johnson, thanks very much. And who is your partner? Uh, the incredibly erudite uh, Jeremy Mayer. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeremy Mayer. 
Jeremy, you are also arguing against this motion that liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. You are an assist, associate professor at George Mason University. You are co-author of the book Close Minds, Question Mark, Politics and Ideology in American Universities. Um, a New York Times article cited your book's findings, and in it you're quoted as saying that when it comes to shaping a young person's political views, quote, professors are among the least influential so as a college professor, how does that make you feel? Hey, it makes me feel pretty good. A college professor should not tell you what to think. He should give you, he or she should give you the tools to think for yourself. And debaters as well. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's the team arguing against the motion. <laughs> on to round one. Our motion is this. Liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. And here to make his Opening statement, in support of the motion, Greg Lukianoff. He is president of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Greg Lukianoff. Let me start by whisking you back to a magical time, 2001. A conservative would have dismissed me as a liberal cliché. I was a floppy-haired, Burning Man regular, San Francisco out, who turned down big law firm salaries to work uh, for social justice. And most of all, I loved the First Amendment, the quintessential liberal cause, or so I thought. 2001 was also the year I started working at FIRE, which proudly defends speech and academic freedom for speakers of any political stripe. As soon as I started at FIRE, however, I was inundated with hundreds of pleas for help. It wasn't long before I learned this unfortunate truth— If you're going to be censored on the modern college campus for your opinion, chances are you're going to be censored by the left. I have been, I've seen so many crazy examples of politically correct censorship. A student in Indiana punished just for publicly reading a book. A sorority sister forced to publicly repent for insensitivity for a Taco Tuesday event. And Yale students banned from calling Harvard students sissies on a t-shirt, which was a quote from S. Scott Fitzgerald, by the way. This is heartbreaking to me and my teammate, since both of us consider ourselves liberal, liberals. Take any hot topic in America today, and I can point you to examples of students and faculty members getting in trouble for being on the conservative side of the issue. Take abortion. While FIRE has proudly supported the free speech rights of pro-choice students, we are far more likely to have to come to the defense of pro-life students. How bad is it? At Northern Kentucky University, a professor actually led her students to destroy a pro-life display. The display was only dozens of little white crosses to protest Roe v. Wade. At Dartmouth, a similar pro-life display, this time involving tiny American flags, was considered so offensive that another student ran it over with his car. That reckless censor, if you have any guess about what his politics were, he had a coexist sticker on the back of his car. Or take immigration. At UCLA, a student group faced ferocious protests and a massive fine when they simply attempted to invite someone to come to campus to debate against their pro-immigration stance. Last year, campus liberals made national headlines for demanding that speakers they did not like be disinvited from campuses across the country. This problem has been growing for years. According to extensive research by FIRE, if you're going to face a disinvitation push arising from campus, it's about three times as likely it's going to come from your left. This is especially shocking when you consider how rare it is for a conservative to be be invited in the first place. Last year's commencement season saw 25 Democratic political figures uh, speak at the commencements of 60 of America's top universities. And how many Republicans were invited to speak? Zero. 
Despite liberal dominance on campus, or maybe because of it, 55% of over 400 colleges surveyed last year maintain wildly unconstitutional speech codes, while only 4% maintain codes that fully meet First Amendment standards. And this in spite of nearly three dozen lawsuits against politically correct um, speech codes since 1989, successful lawsuits. And we can't forget that the tools that are most often used to silence dissent on campus are the brain children of professors including Catherine McKinnon, Mary Matsuda, and Richard Delgado, all of whom were liberal leaders of the speech code movement in the 1980s. Though it gives me no joy to say it, you must vote in favor of the motion, yes, liberals do stifle intellectual diversity on campus. Thank you. Thank you. Greg Lukianoff. And that is our motion. Liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. And here to argue against this motion, Jeremy Mayer. He is an associate professor in the School of Policy, Government, and International Affairs at George Mason University. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeremy Mayer. Thank you. The picture that Greg drew is a common one. Uh, It is the conservative picture of the modern university, Uh, perhaps best summarized by former Pennsylvania Senator Rick Santorum, who called universities indoctrination mills. In this picture, uh, higher education uh, is infused with an overly liberal professoriate, biased classrooms, and stifled campus debate. So are professors liberal? Well, yes. When we did the research, a national random sample survey for our book, we found that 61% of college professors are left or liberal. But this is nothing new. The very first time we looked at college professors in a structured survey in 1933, we found almost the same number. So it isn't like the 60s radicals all went into uh, faculty positions and moved young minds to the left. Uh, When we surveyed uh, faculty members, 85% argued that ideology played no role in tenure in their department, and this was true of of 87% of uh, conservatives. So it is not the case that conservatives need not apply for jobs. Why aren't there more conservative professors to fight the good fight? Well, the first answer I'd give you is money. If you are someone who believes in the market uber ales, you might want to make more than 29.5, which is what I made my first year as a young college professor. I also think there's a pocketbook issue here. Professors depend on two sources of government for their income. One is those many professors like myself who work for state government. If conservatives win, you may not get a raise for four years. And a lot of professors also work on federal grants. The Republican Party is not the Republican Party of 1955, which is very supportive of higher education. It is a party that is devoted to cutting government spending. We aren't surprised when oil executives vote Republican. It's in their economic interest. The same is true for college professors. We also have seen the conservative movement have a hostility to science, which it didn't have 40 years ago. So uh, in our survey, we found, contrary to earlier ones, that natural science professors were moving to the left. Well, if a party attacks evolution, you're going to lose a lot of natural and social scientists because we happen to believe in the scientific method. So I don't think that college professors are becoming liberal out of uh, a viewpoint discrimination. So I think this portrait of an overly liberal campus can be discredited with Greg's own research, that in his work where he identified the 12 worst campuses in 2013, 
And he said, these are examples of liberal viewpoint discrimination, conservatives being squelched. Well, in fact, of the 12, three were non-political. Administrators just saying, oh, I don't want people talking about sex on my campus. We might lose donations. Three of them were conservatives squelching liberals. And finally, there were four of the classic where liberals were being squelching conservatives. There is a place in this very city where I would not be allowed to speak on any topic at all. It's Catholic University. Catholic University, like many conservative campuses, is very explicit about not allowing liberals to speak. I'm not exactly a liberal, but I am pro-choice. Catholic University has an official policy. No one who has ever publicly advocated for the right to abortion is allowed to speak. Jerry Mayer, I'm sorry. Your time is up. Thank you very much. Thank you. And a reminder of what's going on. We're halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. You've heard the first two debaters, and now on to the third. Let's welcome to the lectern Kirsten Powers. She is a columnist for USA Today and the Daily Beast, a network contributor on the Fox News Channel, where she is also a panelist on the program Outnumbered. Ladies and gentlemen, Kirsten Powers. Thank you. Um, Thanks to Intelligence Squared for doing a debate on such an important topic, and I'm always happy to be anywhere where Bill O'Reilly can't interrupt me, so I'm happy to be here. Um, Our opponents are telling you that uh, liberals are not stifling intellectual diversity on campuses. Sadly, this could not be further from the truth. Um, A perfect example of this is a a 2013 case that happened at the University of Alaska, um, Fairbanks, where I'm from. My parents were professors there. A feminist professor uh, filed multiple sexual harassment uh, complaints against the the student university, uh, the campus university there, um, because of an April Fool's Day's issue of an article that was mildly mocking feminism. Ironically, the editor-in-chief who wrote this article was herself a feminist um, and thought she was doing a very mild mocking April Fool's Day uh, story. And she told FIRE that the chilling investigation that was launched by the University of Alaska uh, prevented her from publishing stories on important issues, including sexual assault. Uh, Recently, at Milwaukee's Marquette University, a political science professor there, John McAdams, blogged about an exchange where a Marquette philosophy philosophy professor had told a student um, that debating gay marriage in class was, quote, not appropriate and homophobic. For this... Marquette suspended the professor McAdams, who blogged about it, um, banned him from campus, and they are now in the process of trying to revoke his tenure. Um, Greg and I both support gay marriage, but this is an extremely chilling uh, way for Marquette to handle this issue. The liberals in the past actually supported free speech, and I think that would be the big difference of today, is that the liberals that we're talking about today are enacting very hostile uh, uh, policies against free speech. And so there's a big difference. They may be voting for the same people, but they are behaving in a very uh, different way. And um, many studies will, will back up the fact that there are vastly more liberals on campuses. Um, there was one study that found that 72% of college professors identify as liberal while only 15% identify as conservatives. Um, It's gotten so bad that several prominent social psychologists have written an article recently arguing that the field of psychology is being badly hurt by the lack of political diversity. 
Um, one of the papers, and by the way, none of them are conservatives who wrote this. One of the paper's authors is NYU professor Jonathan Haidt. Um, at a 2011 social psychologist symposium, he asked the uh, audience to show hands for their political leanings. Out of 1,000 people, only three raised their hands to say that they were conservative. Um, and, and, and Haidt points out that, of course, there were more conservatives in the audience. That can't be the actual ratio, but they were too afraid to identify themselves, which speaks for itself. The ideological slant, it's not just a, a, a passive preference. During the 2012 election, 96%, which is almost 100%, as we all know, of political contributions from Ivy League faculty and staff went to the Obama campaign. Um, we've also seen discrimination against Christian groups on campuses. It's getting much worse at Vanderbilt. 14 campus groups um, lost their organizational status in 2012 because they wanted to choose their own leaders based on religious belief. And, you know, Harvard professor and former Obama administration appointee Cass Sunstein has warned that when a group becomes ideologically homogenous, it tends to drift farther and farther in that direction and become more hostile to outsiders. Kirsten Powers, I'm sorry. sorry. Your time is up. Okay, thank you very much, Kirsten Powers. And our motion is liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. And here to argue against this motion in his opening statement, Angus Johnston. He teaches history at City University of New York and is founder of the website studentactivism.net. Ladies and gentlemen, Angus Johnston. Thank you. Um, my, my adversaries have made some really cogent points this evening. And so as an actual campus leftist, I look forward to denouncing them as bigots. Um, <laughs> But before I do that, I'd like to take a step back and talk a little bit about the campus, what what the actual average American campus is like today. The American campus today, as it has been in the past, is a site of robust and passionate debate. And the reality is that most of us, at some point in our lives, give up on debating people we profoundly disagree with. But college students haven't given up yet. And so they argue, incessantly and angrily. But here's the thing. Where free speech is curtailed on campus, it's overwhelmingly not by students or campus liberals, but by administrators who are motivated not by ideology, but by opposition to disruptiveness and clamor. A perfect example of this, the case of of Robert Bergenau, the former chancellor of the University of California at Berkeley, who, as Berkeley Chancellor, provided over the arrests of dozens of peaceful, nonviolent student protesters on multiple occasions, including one occasion in 2011, where students who were demonstrating peacefully were beaten viciously by campus police with batons. After he stepped down as Berkeley's Chancellor, Bergenau was invited to give a commencement address at Haverford College in Pennsylvania, and some Haverford students were understandably not so happy about this. So what did they do? Did they burn down the building? No. What they did is write a letter in which they offered suggestions for how he could repair the harm that he had done to civil liberties at Berkeley. If he didn't do that, they said, they would ask the college to withdraw his invitation, a request that they had no power to enforce. In a two-line reply, Bergenau said that he would not respond to what he called their violent verbal attacks. He wouldn't debate them, and in fact, he wouldn't even come to their campus. He withdrew his decision to come and speak at their commencement. Now, 
Fire has written about this incident many times. Op-ed writers all over the country have written about this incident. And every time they do, Bergenot, an administrator who presided over the beating and arrest of student protesters, is portrayed as a free speech martyr. While the students who just wanted to talk to him about that are portrayed as his oppressors. And I say that that is absolutely wrong. I say that is absolutely backwards. And, you know, hyperbole is free speech. Whether it's the hyperbole of students calling a speaker who said something unfortunate a racist, or the hyperbole of an administrator calling a polite letter a violent attack. Demonizing your opponents is free speech. I want you to vote against this motion. Because it's not liberals who are stifling free speech on the American campus, but bureaucrats. Bureaucrats who are scared by the rowdy, messy vitality of the marketplace of ideas. So what I'm asking you to do here is to stand up for free speech on campus. The freedom of speech of the left and the right and the center by voting against this ill-conceived and prejudicial motion. Angus Johnston. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. Now we move on to round two. Round two is where the debaters address one another directly and take questions from me and from you and our live audience here at George Washington University. The team arguing for this motion, Kirsten Powers and Greg Lukianov, we've heard them argue that socially conservative views are the ones that are most being suppressed on America's campuses, that they are th- the uh, censorship is three times as more likely to come from the left, and they were the ones who drew up the speech codes that are affecting, uh, affecting speech. The side arguing against the motion, Angus Johnston and Jeremy Mayer, they're conceding that, in fact, the campuses are, by and large, uh, overwhelmingly liberal in terms of their faculty makeup, 61% they cite, but they also are making the argument that conservatives also, when they have the opportunity on campuses that are overwhelmingly conservative, also try to suppress speech. They make the strong argument that criticism in itself is not censorship, that the tilt towards liberal faculty has to do with self-selection among conservatives. They don't particularly want to go work in these places. Um, And that uh, by and large, um, there is debate still on campus. There's just not that much stifling going on altogether. I want to take this question to the side arguing against the motion to Angus Johnston and Jeremy Mayer. Let's talk about speech codes, and I think we all know what those are. Certain uh, rules uh, enforced on some campuses that there are certain topics that cannot be discussed, and certainly, certainly certain words, uh, formulations, and language that cannot be used. And your opponents are making the argument that the roots of these speech codes, their actual content, were drawn up by liberals, and therefore that they feel nails their argument that it's a liberal dominance over conservative thought because of who got to write up these codes in the first place. Angus Johnson? Yeah, I I think there's a few things that that need to be said in response to that. First is, the folks who have drawn up these speech codes are for the most part not attempting to impose ideological conformity. They are trying to keep trustees happy. They are trying to keep alumni happy. Uh, They are trying to avoid having uh, parents feel like their kids who they think of as still children are uh, living in a den of iniquity. Um, And so there is certainly a tremendous amount of pressure from the top to keep things calm 
on the campus. But that's a very different thing than an attempt to impose ideological conformity. And in fact, in the 2015 speech code uh, report that FIRE just, uh, just produced, they cite 15 examples of uh, freedom of speech violations, and 12 of those are non-ideological. Greg uh, I mean, it's always interesting to have your own research sort of uh, cited um, because when we watch how uh, these codes are written, you know, as I said, they came from liberal thinkers. They came from the Catherine McKinnons. Uh, they are used disproportionately against uh, conservative points of view consistently. And the idea that, yes, absolutely, administrators um, are, are largely the big problem, and they have been, um, and we'd be willing to say that, but the administrators themselves lean overwhelmingly left. Yes, you could say that they were probably liberal in their political views, but they were centrist in their views about what is appropriate discussion and debate on campus. And, and here's an example of it. Uh, there was a case recently where uh, two students who were joking around with each other, and one of them was white and one of them was black, and one of them, the white one said to the black one, can I get a white power? And this was a joke that they had between themselves, and neither one of them was offended by it. And they were both brought up on charges because the kind of humor that they were engaging in was found offensive by the administration. Now, is that suppression of conservative speech? Is it suppression of liberal speech? No, it's just a jerk administrator being a jerk. But, but it is but, political. Well, that's a curious yeah. thing. No, but the, the point isn't that it's always conservatives. I don't, that's not actually our position. The position is that it is is overwhelmingly has been used against conservatives, but liberals absolutely are, are affected by it as well, and that's a, that's a good example of it, um, by liberals. So if, if you're those students that you just described and you're on a campus where you think you're going to get in trouble for a private conversation, which we have a lot of, I'm sure you know the stories too, there are a lot of stories like this, you are going to be very careful about what you say, and that is going to stifle intellectual diversity. If people feel like, I can't say something. At Marquette University, there was another case where in, a, in, in their d- training of, um, of the professors, there, they had a slide. It was an example of, of something that they, they might have to respond to. Two students are talking. They oppose same-sex marriage. A third student overhears them and reports them to the administration. This, they were told this was the proper handling of this incident. They're turning, they're turning students into informants on each other for having a conversation. But, but you Mayor. don't ever complain about the real stifling of intellectual diversity, which happens at hundreds of campuses across this country that are conservative and explicitly... Oh, yes, we do. Could, no, I've, I've read, you have this whole statement on your website that says, we will not take on Liberty University and stop asking well, us liberty, to... Yeah. Because they are open about their yeah. stifling, so yeah. it's okay. Yeah, I'm so- sorry. If you care about free speech, care about the kids at Liberty, care about the kids at BYU, care about the BYU professor who was fired for saying he was in favor of gay marriage. We have taken on religious university after religious university, but I, li- I like how people kind of play dumb on this particular <laughs> issue, where it's kind of like Liberty University makes you sign a contract saying you essentially give up all your rights at the door. What are we supposed to argue that you don't know or that you don't know that you're going to BYU and suddenly you're like, oh my God, it's Mormon, it's super Mormon. <laughs> you, you have the right to give up some free uh, to, to, to agree to that. I would never attend any of these schools. But yes, if you tell people you give up your rights on the door and you agree to that, then you have the right to do that. I just want to ask uh, the side arguing for the motion that liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus, having made the argument the speech codes have been constructed by liberals and therefore that's a leg of your argument. Do you believe that there's a role for speech codes, period? Is there speech that does need to be 
suppressed no. on a campus. No, no, I, there is no role for for speech codes, and I th- I think especially on a campus. A campus is we hear a lot about how campuses are now supposed to be these safe spaces. They should be physically safe, but they should be places that you go and you feel challenged, and you might feel angry, and you might feel upset, and you might read things and hear things um, that that are that are um, intellectually diverse, and that you would actually uh, encounter people who think differently than you. And and I think that um, a speech code just creates an extremely chilling environment, especially because these speech codes are, are so arbitrary. I'm guessing you agree with this. I couldn't agree more. I think I that speech codes yeah. are wrong, uh, and I, don't, I wouldn't support them. I just don't think they're part of a liberal ideology crushing conservatism. And I, I also agree that speech can be painful and should be painful on a college campus. One of FIRE's cases is when conservative students hold out an affirmative action bake sale. And they price the goods at different prices so black kids can buy a muffin at 25 cents, but white kids have to pay $2. And it's a graphic representation of white resentment of affirmative action. And it it really makes some black students very, very angry. But I would, as a liberal aside today, fiercely defend the right of conservative students to do that, even if I would think it violates civility by inflicting that kind of pain. But that's what a college campus must do is be open to those kind of debates. Uh, j- just a simple sort of basic philosophical point. Um, it, it, uh, John Stuart Mill, uh, in his wonderful 1859 book on liberty, talks about civility. And this is why you should always be concerned about calls for civility. Is He points out that uh, civility ends up getting defined by the people who are in charge. And you'll notice that when people argue for civility, they, gen- to, they, they tend to actually believe that whatever they say is civil. And if they're angry about it, it's righteous rage. But if you say it and it's kind of sharp or mean, then it's incivil. And this... Uh, this is one of the reasons why it is a problem that you have this incredible sort of um, uh, liberal dominance on campus. Sometimes disagreement to be productive can't be all that civil. I think that is something that flows in both directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, a perfect example is an, an op-ed that was written by Wendy Kaminer just a few days ago uh, where she described uh, participating in, a, in an event which was sponsored by a campus in which they were talking about free speech and, and, and racial slurs. And she used the word which I will refer to as the N-word, three times. And not only did she do that, um, she also, in using the word N-word, and please don't do this, she said, when I use the word, when I say the N-word, what word comes into your mind? Soliciting the audience to say back the slur. And she was criticized for this, which I think is reasonable, because I think that's a messed up thing for her to do. Is, does she have a right to do it? Absolutely. But is it right for other people to say, wow, that was really kind of gross? Yes. Here's the thing. In her op-ed, she used the word censorship three times to describe her critics. Nobody made an attempt to censor her. Nobody That's made an true. attempt to censor her. No, absolutely not true. What, what? She, was, she was censored in the transcript. Okay, no, so no, no, the, no. the part of the story that you're missing <laughs> is that when the, when the students reported this, not only did they put a trigger warning at the beginning of the transcript of her speech, and they didn't just censor the, uh, the N-word. They, they put expletive, uh, they put brackets N-word. They also, when she referred to this as being crazy, they put uh, brackets uh, ableist slur in there. I mean, Wait, like... So, so is it, is it your <laughs> so not really tell Is the whole it your story opinion here. that a campus student newspaper doesn't have the right? No, this, to was a tr- this wasn't a student newspaper. This was a transcript of the. No, it was a transcript that was, of, of it was a transcript that was pub- that was pu- prepared by an individual student, a, a recent alum. It wasn't in a formal they official. They have the right stand. to, but that's censorship. How is it censorship? They literally censored it. No, 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 they no, literally no, wait, took it out. How is it not? Censorship? How is it censorship for for? And let me just frame it this way: Is it censorship if the Washington Post says we won't print the word? 
Is that censorship? I mean, they can choose. To, they can choose to do is that. Is it censorship? I, I would say, yeah. Like, I basically, okay, I don't consider that censorship. I, I consider think, that a private also, institution also, making think, its own decisions. I think you probably just got bleeped on NPR. <laughs> I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. Um, my name is Elon. I'm a lawyer here in Washington, D.C. My question is for Angus. Your proposition boils down to this notion that it's small-c conservative administrators who are afraid of clamor, who are afraid of disruption on campus, and therefore it's not an ideological cause. But who is responsible for this potential clamor? Overwhelmingly if, liberal if, students. Exactly. And so my question is, isn't that the proposition? Don't we have to vote in favor of the no, proposition? No, overwhelming liberal students are the victims of, of the From liberals, class. though. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, I, I guess if the premise of this question is, if any time an administrator who is a liberal in their personal life is violating free speech rights of somebody else, then, then the answer is that, yes, that is a liberal stifling intellectual diversity on campus. But, um, <laughs> but any time a campus does anything, it's usually liberals doing it. And so the, the, I think that the question of, of whether it is an ideological stifling of, of pr- primarily conservatives, I think that that's a, the more interesting question. And, and I, I should also point out, in the first example in Greg's excellent book uh, is – a student protesting a garage being built from an environmentalist perspective, saying, why are we doing this? And the university president, I don't know if he's a liberal or conservative, I don't know nothing about that president, but he went after that student in an egregious way. And I appreciate that FIRE supported that guy, because I'm glad somebody did. But it was not a conservative student standing up and saying, build more garages because burning carbon's good. It was a liberal student being punished for being stridently environmentalist. I just, I just, I'm going to reiterate again that it is not our argument that it is only conservatives or even that it's, it, that it's necessarily an ideological crusade, though it often is. The point is intellectual diversity is being, is being stifled. And, that, and, it does, and when, you, when, you, when you do it to a liberal or whether you do it to a conservative or you do it to an agnostic, it creates a culture of fear. Kirsten, and it are, makes are, it impossible for people to speak openly. I'm curious also, are you saying that this stifling stems primarily and or only from the administration? Or no. are you also talking about a social milieu that it's peer pressure as well? Right. I think, I mean, we haven't talked about a lot of cases where it actually doesn't have anything to do with the administrators. It has the, the Kaminer case. That, that was derived completely from students. In fact, the administrator, the, the president of, of Smith, was there when it happened, and, and it really wasn't that much of an incident. It was something that came from students, and students who then started protesting and demanding, you know, that, that the president of Smith, you know, condemn this and, and, and all these other things. So I, I think you see with Bill Maher, same thing, you know. Um, it was student, a student-led uh, revolt against him for his comments about Islam. These were again from the left, um, but it all has the same effect of making people feel that they can't, they cannot say how they think because they don't know what's what, what kind of uh, retribution is going. Angus Johnston. Come. I, th- I think it's pretty clear that Wendy Kaminer is not afraid of saying what she thinks because she <laughs> said it in the Washington Post. Again. And then she was called a racist for I, saying that's so. Fine. But is you, it you, you what, even you even misrep- it- you've, you have done exactly what they did. You've misrepresented what she did. She was actually trying to explain free speech to people, and she was actually arguing against censorship on on campuses. And she was trying to make the point, you know, that that we actually can handle hearing certain words. Now, would I have done what she did? 
No, I don't think so. It, it was provocative. But for her to be tarred as a racist the way that she was and, and accused of making racist comments, when you know perfectly is, well is what? she did not say something racist. She was talking specifically about how they are trying to censor certain uh, works of literature on campuses because of, because of words that are offensive to people. And she was making the point that this, you know, this is not something we should do. About Huck and, Finn. Yeah, about Huck Finn specifically. And then to have her now portrayed as like the, you know, like Bull Connor. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not like that's just not what happens. People make mistakes and use not... the word racist inappropriately. I don't think she was racist, but I fiercely uh, would protect the right of people to call her racist. That's not censorship. That's free speech. If you're a conservative on campus and you feel stifled by a liberal majority in your student body, put on your big boy or big girl pants and go out there and take it because that's what free speech is. I want to remind you we are in the question and answer (laughs) section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator, and we have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion. Liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. We're taking audience questions. Let's continue. Uh, My name is Allison, and I'm just interested in what you're talking about. And I have a question about trigger warnings. Do you see those? And somebody did bring them up. Do you see those as stifling free speech? I mean, I can see as a college professor thinking, what do I label with a trigger warning? What don't I? How much trouble am I going to get into if half the class leaves? And how much trouble am I going to get into if I don't have a trigger so warning? So your, your question is, does anybody here support them? And half the class is, I is offended. nobody supports I, I have, I, in oh, my, I I have a student okay. here tonight. We talked about date rape statistics without trigger warnings just last week. Well, so where does uh, it fit? Should it be on campus at all? That's no, really it question. shouldn't be. It's a ridiculous uh, perversion <laughs> of a liberal ideology. I think we have a division on the against side. <laughs> Awkward. Uh, <laughs> Were you about to say yes? Uh, I, I think I actually am the nation's most prominent faculty supporter of trigger warnings at this point. Uh, I use trigger warnings in my classes. I think they are absolutely appropriate. I think they should never be mandatory. But I also think that it is absolutely crucial to create an environment where everybody can participate in a classroom discussion. And part of that is recognizing that we all come into the classroom as whole people who have our own experiences. And so if I am talking about the murder and the desecration of the body of Emmett Till, I would kind of like to know whether one of my students has just lost a son. And if one of my students has just lost a son, I would talk about Emmett Till in a different way than I would under other circumstances. All right, let me let your opponents respond to, the, to your argument for th- those limitations on... Well, do you call those a limitation on speech, by the way? Do you call them a facilitator, an enabler of speech? Which are they? Yeah, no, I, th- I think I, what, I, what I call it is a content note, and I, it's a way okay. of... In, in, in but he said it shouldn't be mandatory, and on that right. we agree. Yeah. Okay. I, I, well, Christian I mean, Carl. this reminds Christian me a little... Eric Posner, who's a, a University of Chicago law professor, just wrote an article for Slate magazine basically arguing that in... Def- defense of a lot of these different uh, of speech codes in particular and um, he didn't I don't know if he mentioned trigger warnings because he said that what people don't understand is that students today are really are children and that they need to be protected and that's that's sort of what is behind this idea um, which to me doesn't seem like something that's really encouraging a, a robust sort of intellectual debate um, there was also a, 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 a New Yorker article that was written by a Harvard law professor about the fact that um, that she 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 teaches rape law and she has been had students demand that there would be be trigger warnings or that she not teach it and, well and, that, and it is ultimately sort of culminated with 
with the idea, and she says specifically this is you know, perpetrated by, by left-wing groups who are advising the students to tell them that they shouldn't have to sit in a, a rape law class um, if it's upsetting to them, to the point that she said, surveying various professors across the country, that they're now giving up teaching rape law because of the fear of, okay. of the backlash. Which the the Let me let Jeremy Mayer respond. Could I, could I ask Greg a question? Sure. If a campus said, we are going to be the campus of sensitivity. Yeah. And they said that we are going to do trigger warnings because sure. of their danger. You'd, you'd allegedly be okay with that because you're okay when right-wing groups set up a campus and say, all right, the, nobody pro-choice can speak. They, they can, but if you really take this to its logical extreme, then they couldn't be universities because they literally couldn't talk about anything. But, and that but, includes round two of this <laughs> Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. And now we move on to round three. Round three, closing statements by each debater in turn. And here to summarize his position in support of this motion, liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus, Greg Lukianoff, president of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. This evening, Kirsten and I have provided data and real examples demonstrating how liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. But you don't have to take it from us. Just ask the professors themselves. In a 2012 study, a representative sample of about 300 social psychologists were asked if two job candidates with equal qualifications were to apply for an opening in your department and you knew one was politically conservative, would you be inclined to vote for the more liberal one? 82% of liberal social psychologists said they would at least be a little bit prejudiced against the conservative applicant. This is shocking, especially when you consider that social psychologists are so often concerned about the harm of unconscious bias. It's, it's a well-known rule of social science that the more politically homogeneous a group is, the more radical in that direction it tends to become, and the more the group begins to act as a tribe that sees outsiders as enemies who are either stupid or simply bad or greedy. Unfortunately, we're seeing this play out within our colleges and universities. Too many liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus, and in doing so, they are encouraging people just to talk with those who they already agree. Their endless rules for collect speech, or correct speech are encouraging people to keep their opinions to themselves. This only makes the tribalism problem worse and the walls of the echo chamber thicker. It's not supposed to be this way, and it doesn't have to be this way. But the first step towards recovery is admitting you have a problem. And on our campuses, we have a problem. And I hope you all recognize tonight that liberals, sadly, are stifling intellectual diversity. Thank you. Thank you, Greg Lukianoff. And that is the motion. Liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. And here to summarize his position against this motion, Jeremy Mayer. He is co-author of Closed Minds, Politics, and Ideology in American Universities. A long time ago, I was a Republican at Brown University. And that was a tough gig. There was uh, social ostracism sometimes. People called me a racist. Uh, there are things that you go through as a libertarian-minded Republican that I sympathize with. But I don't believe overall that liberals are stifling intellectual diversity. I think a lot of these ideas, even the idea of trigger warning, are creating discussions about trauma and how we talk about it. When I was at college, my first month, the gay student group had a kiss in in the mailroom. And back in 80s, today, that's pretty normal at GW. That happens Thursday. Day, Thursday, I think, is the gay kissing. <laughs> but in 86, that was revolutionary to see boys or men and men and women and women kissing deeply. It, it really created a discussion. That's free speech. Was it offensive? Was it dangerous? Did people? Yeah. But that's what a campus should be. A lot of the things we've heard tonight 
are anecdotes. The plural of anecdote is not data. At the end of the day, I think a lot of conservatives are worried that their children are going to change to the left, and I have good news. We don't change children to the left. Uh, Jennings and Stoker, in a longitudinal study, found that college had absolutely no effect on political views of college students. Marianne and Hewitt found a small leftward change over time in college students that was exactly mirrored by what happened with the same age group that didn't go to college. So please consider well that liberals are not stifling intellectual diversity on college campuses. Thank you, Jeremy Mayer. And that's the motion. Liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. And here to summarize her position supporting this motion, Kirsten Powers. She is author of The Silencing, How the Left is Killing Free Speech. It's due out in May. If you're part of the dominant culture, which on university campuses, as we've established, is primarily liberal, it's easy to mistake your beliefs for objective truth. Um, I know this because I've lived most of my life in the liberal bubble. There were two experiences that took me out of this. One was becoming a contributor at Fox News, and the other was a later-in-life conversion to Christianity. I can, I can remember actually saying to somebody that I was debating at Fox that Harriet Myers, who George Bush was, uh, had nominated for the Supreme Court, didn't count um, as a, a female appointment because she was a conservative and an evangelical Christian. I'm embarrassed, frankly, that I ever thought that, um, it was a prejudiced view, and unfortunately, I wasn't alone in my prejudice. A 2007 study of faculty on college campuses found that 53% had cool or negative feelings towards evangelical Christians. These levels of disapproval raised serious questions about how evangelical students are treated on campus. The only way that um, one could believe that liberals aren't stifling intellectual diversity on campuses is if they never visit FIRE's website and if they don't have any friendships with non-liberals. Uh, at a dinner party a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I met a retired Stanford professor and a Harvard Law School student, both evangelicals, um, who described to me how they felt they had to hide their beliefs uh, lest they be ostracized or punished. A third person, who is a former professor at a D.C. area university, was passed over for a position because she was suspected correctly of being a conservative, and this was in writing. These stories are all too familiar. I hear them regularly, uh, but people are too afraid to speak publicly. I believe you must vote yes on this motion tonight. Liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campuses. Thank you, Kirsten Powers. The motion, liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus, and here to summarize his position against this motion, Angus Johnston, founder of the website studentactivism.net. When I was a, a, an undergraduate student and involved in various student organizations, I remember feeling afraid to talk about certain issues. I remember feeling like if I said the wrong thing that I might get yelled at, or maybe somebody would even stop liking me. And I remember that what it did sometimes was make me keep my mouth shut, which as a 19, 20, 21-year-old white guy was maybe not the worst thing that could happen to a person. But the other thing that it did is it made me think more seriously about what I was going to say. It made me chew on this stuff. And sometimes I did think seriously about what I was going to say, and I still said something that offended somebody else, and they let me know it. And here I am today, still alive still doing okay. Part of free speech on campus is people being passionate about the 
the degree to which they abhor what you say. I absolutely think that we need more free speech on campus when we're talking about administrators and faculty imposing their own values, whether ideological or not. But I also absolutely think that we need to stand up for the right of people to engage in rowdy, obnoxious debate because rowdy, obnoxious debate is what made me what I am and it's what made a lot of you what you are. So in standing up for free speech and in standing up for rowdy, obnoxious debate, I would encourage you all to avoid stereotyping who are the people who are censoring and who are the people who are silencing. And the best, well, I was going to say the best way you could do that is vote against this motion, but I don't want to pressure you. I don't want you to feel silenced. So do what will ever make you feel that you are whole and that you are a part of this community because this is a hell of a community. Thank you very much. Thank you, Angus Johnston. And that concludes our closing statements. So I have the final results now. It's all in. The motion is this. Liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. And again, reminding you that the way this works is that the team whose numbers have moved the most in percentage point terms between the first and second vote will be declared our winner. So let's look at the first vote. On the motion, liberals are stifling intellectual diversity on campus. In the first vote, 33% supported this motion. 21% were against. 46% were undecided. So those are the first results. Looking now at the second results. The team arguing for the motion, their second vote was 59%. They went from 33 to 59%. That's up 26 percentage points, and that is the number to beat. The team against the motion, their first vote was 21%. Second vote, 32%. That's only an 11% increase. It means the team arguing for the motion, liberals are stifling the intellectual diversity on campus, are our winners. Our congratulations to them. Thank you from me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held at George Washington University's Jack Morton Auditorium in Washington, D.C. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Maureen McMurray, Taylor Quimby, and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the engineer. Clea Chang is director of production. Chris Kamakawa is our researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit iq2us.org. And to hear the full unedited version or to sign up for the Intelligence Squared podcast, visit npr.org forward slash Intelligence Squared. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with visionary support from the Connor Davis Family Foundation, David A. Coulter, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Dr. Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, Profit Capital Asset Management, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Arthur N. Roop Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, and the Paul E. Singer Foundation. From Intelligence Squared U.S., thank you.